Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your weekly podcast for all your tillage news and advice. In this episode, I'm exploring nature and biodiversity and how on a landscape basis, tillage crops can influence the biodiversity. I'm joined by Daro Hulakan, an agroecologist in Chagas, who's been looking at this topic for some time. I first asked Dara how we define biodiversity in a landscape context, and is this any different to what people see in their fields or back gardens? Biodiversity comprises all the plants and animal species that we have, and all the habitats in which they live. So Ireland is is dominated by agriculture, therefore, unsurprisingly, our biodiversity is shaped by historic and ongoing agricultural practices. So the biodiversity we see within these agricultural landscapes would therefore differ to what you would see in an urban landscape or what you would see maybe in a more domestic landscape. Though obviously there is some kind of generalist species that utilise all or multiple landscapes. Um, so tillage then, looking at that specifically, it's about, it's not a huge amount, it's about 6 or 7% of our total land area. So within the, I suppose, the total landscape, is tillage farming helpful for that entire biodiversity function or is that just how it reacts to tillage in the landscape? Okay, so all agricultural land can play an important role to support biodiversity as as these landscapes already have existing habitats that can be retained or improved or they have the potential to establish new habitats. And an element of biodiversity is diversity or variety. So if you have a variety of different landscapes or a variety of different farming enterprises, such as grassland and tillage, you are more likely to have a variety of different habitats and species. So from a tillage point of view, certain species have evolved to exploit our more traditional tillage practices. For example, overwinter stubbles support a huge amount of small birds over the winter months by providing a food source. Okay, so with those species that, 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 that you're chatting about there, so they're specific or they have adapted, as you rightly say, to the tillage um, in the landscape. Is If tillage happened to disappear in the morning, we ended up to be all um, grassland, would those adapt back into grassland or would they disappear? So they would likely disappear. So there are numerous species that we have that have evolved to live or feed in tillage landscapes. So certain farmland birds such as yellowhammer or grey partridge feed and nest almost exclusively in tillage systems. Also some of our more colourful plant species that you often see on road verges such as cornflower or corn marigold are again associated with tillage systems. But it should also be noted that some of these species have evolved to exploit more extensive mixed tillage and grassland landscapes that would have been more common maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Therefore, the intensification and specialization of tillage systems has resulted in a decline of the species, as we've seen with yellowhammer or grey partridge, or on some occasion, the extinction of a species, as we've seen with a bird in recent years called the corn bunting. Okay, so when we're looking then at, so you mentioned a couple of different um, species there. Is there some research or survey work that, that kind of shows what sort of numbers are, are like at the moment, how, how it actually has declined? And is, there, is that a, a kind of on a broader kind of um, uh, aspect, I suppose, in, 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 in all the other things that people would see out there? For instance, tillage farmers would, would uh, almost maintain that there's, there's way more crows around the place when they have... Um, vulnerable um, uh, cereals starting to come up or there's way more pigeons around the place when they have all seed rape that needs to be grazed or that wants to be grazed maybe I suppose by by pigeons in uh, January or February. Okay so so 
globally species are declining and about 1 million species are, are threatened with global extinction because of human or, or, or anthropogenic activity. And the most significant activity is land use change or intensification of land use. In relation to how tillage farms may be compared to other intensive systems, a way of assessing it is to see what proportion of the farm constitutes habitats or somewhere where biodiversity could live. And recent studies by Chagask indicate that the median percentage of habitats on a tillage farm is about five to seven percent. And that's pretty standard across intensive agriculture, be it intensive tillage or intensive grassland. And then with some of our more common habitats, such as hedgerows or semi-natural woodlands, these are pretty similar across enterprises where other habitats are dependent more so on tillage. So things like field margins or board cover crops are found more frequently on tillage farms than on an extent or an intensive grassland farms. Where we are seeing a difference maybe between intensive systems and between tillage and grassland systems is in relation to the quality of some of these habitats. So the quality of some of the dominant habitats on tillage systems, such as field margins, are lower than those on intensive grassland. And then generally for an intensive systems altogether, the main habitat being hedgerow, we're also seeing that the quality here is frequently low on our intensive systems. And Dara, is that from over-management or neglect or a bit of both? So it's likely to be a combination of both. So there's kind of a drive and diminish with society to have landscapes that are very highly manicured, be they, be they public areas that are very manicured or our own gardens are overly manicured. But it's also probably the same for some of our agricultural systems. And biodiversity doesn't like things that are overmanaged. So biodiversity likes things that are a little bit ragged around the edges. So therefore, if you have hedgerows that are getting an opportunity to grow and to flower, it's providing food resources and nesting resources for birds and bees and, and species like that. So it's probably at overmanagement on some occasions. It's probably lack of management on some occasions. And the most significant driver, I would think, in this case is policy. So CAP and EFA and other policies we've had in recent years has neglected to address habitat quality. So the focus has often been on habitat quantity, but there has been very little uh, focus on habitat quality. So you would hope that future iterations of CAP will, will start addressing habitat quality, for example, through results-based payments where you pay or you incentivize farmers on the quality of the habitat they have, as opposed to merely just having the habitat present. Okay, that's interesting. But we might just come back to that in just a second. You mentioned uh, on the way by there, you mentioned um, margins and they tend to be quite, uh, quite dominant in the, um, uh, the, the element in, within the tillage farming kind, kind of scenario. And I'm just thinking about, I've heard or read about wildlife corridors, which I presume probably take in margins and, and maybe perhaps um, hedges as well. Are these really important within a tillage landscape? As, as in, uh, I also see that, that, that farmers in other countries are joining these up to create a larger, if you like, corridor um, uh, pathway, if you like, for wildlife. Yeah, so they're hugely important. So as you said, wildlife corridors are features that connect one habitat to another. So these could be typically linear features, such as hedgerows or drainage ditches or field margins. And it's important to note their habitats in their own right, but they also act kind of like wildlife motorways. So it's important for wildlife to be able to move from one habitat to another to exploit various food resources or to ensure genetic diversity. 
And typically most species are unable or unwilling to travel across large open spaces like a large tillage field or a large grassland field. So therefore they prefer to use the cover of a wildlife corridor. So the, the advantage of a wildlife corridor is that it's a habitat in itself, but it also acts as a kind of a wildlife motorway connecting different habitats to one another. So with some of these um, uh, margins, um, I suppose farmers might look at them as, as almost a nuisance. You, you mentioned before about them being overmanaged. But is there a place for them in terms of something that um, a farmer can get benefit from having them on the farm? Um, maybe biocontrol or something like that. Have you seen that? Yeah, so there's various advantages to biodiversity and to these wildlife corridors or wildlife margins. So by having a high quality hedgerow or a high quality field margin, you can have floral resources that's providing food for bees and pollinators. And these pollinators play an important role for horticultural crops or for rape crops. So you're providing a, a pollination service. Also, these wildlife corridors or these habitats can support a biocontrol agents, so beetles, for example. And this could be in a very important element in future iterations of, of agri-environment schemes where we're seeing a more significant drive for integrated pest management, for example, as was mentioned under the farm to fork strategy. Also, there's an advantage by having field margins that are dominated with wildflowers, for example. This can act as a barrier to stop undesirable species from encroaching from the hedgerow into the main field where the farm activity is ongoing. And then I suppose the other value is if we're providing high resources for biodiversity, whilst also producing high quality food, then there's marketing and branding opportunities for when we're trying to compete in international markets with the products that we're selling. Okay, yeah, that's, it's, it's a, it reminds me as you're talking there in terms of biocontrol to do with weeds um, here in Oak Park, there's a, an excellent example of uh, using different grasses to outcompete some weed grasses and seem to be doing it extremely well. Yeah, so the, the same can be said for, for, the, for the wild grasses, but also by incorporating wild flowers there, the wild grasses are providing a food resource for, for insects and for invertebrates, for example, and for, for some of our beetles and our ladybirds that are feeding then on our aphids within the main crop. But by incorporating floral resources there as well, you're also providing food for pollinator species as well. Okay. You mentioned farm to fork there, and obviously that's the new... Um, I suppose, umbrella in how the policy is going to be formed here in Ireland in the future. Um, farmers, I suppose, or tillage farmers here are well used to the term EFA or ecologically focused areas and they all have it on their farms. The new farm to fork proposals are seeking to, um, I suppose, revise or maybe improve these areas and, and, and how they're managed. How do you see that working? Uh, I think it's promising. So the EFAs, although initially they started off as a, a potentially promising measure through various uh, iterations of the EFA, their, their overall impact on a European scale was, was not that good for biodiversity and recent European Court of Auditor assessments commented and were pretty critical in relation to the effectiveness of, of EFAs from a biodiversity point of view. You would hope that the next iteration of CAP or on the farm to fork and the EU biodiversity strategy, we will see improvements in relation to quantity and quality. So the farm to fork strategy and the EU biodiversity strategy are now placing increasing emphasis on farmland biodiversity with, for example, a target of 10% of habitats on farmland being suggested from a quantity point of view. They're also driving for habitat quality and EFAs didn't touch on habitat quality really at all. So you would hope that the next iteration of, of CAP 
or the next agri-environment schemes will start including these results-based measure approaches where farmers are incentivized for improving the quality of existing habitats. And how, um, or have you seen examples of how that might work, uh, a results-based type approach? So we're very lucky in Ireland in that we're kind of forerunners in relation to results-based approaches. And typically these would have started off on more extensive farming systems. So one of the first ones was the Burren projects and the Burren Life project over in the west of Ireland, where farmers were incentivized to improve the, the, the score of their grassland, of their traditional hay meadow. And for example, the more species you had in your hay meadow, the higher the score you got, the higher the quality the habitat was, and therefore the higher the payment you received. More recently, with some of the EIP projects that are being funded by the Department of Agriculture, we're seeing, again, a drive for results-based payments within these EIP programs, including EIPs targeted to more intensive systems, such as the Bride EIP down in North Cork. Again, where we're incentivizing farmers to improve the quality, farmers, once they see an improvement in their quality, can then start seeing an improvement in, or an increase in the, in the payments that they're getting for that habitat. When you say farmers are seeing it, are, are farmers seeing it and measuring it and then reporting on that measure? In other words, is it, is it a self-assessment type scenario or, or what way, um, for example, say in the Bride Project, what way is that kind of set up to work on those intensive farms? So ultimately, you would like to see it move towards self-assessment by farmer. And that has been the case with some of the projects down in the burn. So initially, farmers received training from specialists and from farm advisors and from ecologists to start identifying these target species or these indicator species that they're looking for. And then that there is an element of self-assessment and they report their score to the overall project manager or the project team. And people were a little bit reluctant at the start or wary, saying, well, sure, it's likely that farmers or someone could overemphasize their score just in order to get a higher payment. But if anything, farmers were pretty conservative in their scoring because uh, they didn't want to overemphasize, but also there was going to be assessments on occasion, spot checks to see how accurate the farmer assessment was compared to the ecologist assessment. So ultimately, you would see some element of engagement between advisor and ecologist and farmer, such that the farmer can get trained up to identify these species, but then there will also be some kind of assessment from whatever project team or whatever spot checks are doing just to ensure that the scores are, are relatively accurate. Kind of getting towards the end here, and, and, and perhaps you've maybe already answered this question, I think in your enthusiasm for the results-based um, uh, process, if you like, but if you as an, an agroecologist were to put together or to get up and optimum cooperation from tillage and grassland farmers perhaps around the country, what would be the two or three main actions on farms that you think might make the real difference in terms of increasing uh, biodiversity uh, in commercial farms? So the priority areas I would focus on from farmers' point of view, but also from a policy maker's point of view, is habitat quantity and habitat quality. So as I said, the EU farm to fork is driving for more habitats on farmland, maybe five or maybe 10% being suggested as a percentage area of your farm. Now, as we mentioned earlier, tillage farms have a median of about five to 7% of their farm area's habitat. So they're not that far away from this 10%. But it's important to note that within this quantity, there are habitats such as ponds and scrub that are very important for biodiversity and water quality and carbon storage, but are not eligible under cross-compliance. So you would hope that future policy and policymakers can start recognizing the value of these ineligible habitats under future policy and incentivize farmers to retain them. So that's the habitat quantity point of view. 
And then, as I said earlier, from the habitat quality point of view, you would aim to try and see an improvement in the quality of existing habitats through reduced management on occasion or increased management on occasion. As we said, reduced management, for example, from our hedgerow point of view, a Cutting less frequently allows the hedgerow to flower and provide food resources for a variety of different species and nesting resources. So the future could be an incorporation of a results-based payment, as we mentioned, to improve the quality and then couple this with a, a, a threshold or a target for a certain minimum area of habitat. And you could encourage farmers, those that have significantly higher than this minimum area of habitat, could also be incentivized through eco-schemes or through agri-environment schemes. Okay, Dara, look, there's, that's, that's brilliant. Well, thanks very much for that update. There's certainly, from what I'm getting on the ground from tillage farmers, maybe over the last six or seven years, there, there's certainly more of a drive towards um, recognising um, these areas on their farms and certainly, uh, I think, a drive to, to retain and uh, perhaps manage them a little bit better. And um, certainly, uh, I think these farmers um, would tell me that they would like to get a little bit more... Um, information and maybe education about how to manage them properly. Dara, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome, Michael. That's it for Intelligent Edge this week, and my thanks to Dara for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more farming information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.